0: Everyone in the world is under such pressure right now, there's such tension, there's such stress on so many different levels and we're all feeling it. You know, there's tension, there's pressure about the politics in our country. We feel pressure about the coronavirus and our own health and safety. Am I safe now? Will I be healthy tomorrow, next year? About our economy, will I have a job or a home, be able to provide for food for my family today, tomorrow, next year? Um, you know, will our country remain safe or become even more further divided on issues of policing and race and all these, there's just the tension is just unbelievable. And so it probably should come as no surprise to us that in response to increasing pressure and increasing tension, people's behaviors, their words, their speech, their actions are just uh, devolving in many cases. You know, it's like extreme pressure, it's like a sponge. You know, you put enough pressure on that sponge and whatever's inside of it is gonna come out. And um, you put enough pressure on people, and a lot of times some pretty um, fear-based and sin-based and uh, hopeless sorts of responses come from us. Uh, but Christians are supposed to be different, right? We're supposed to have hope. We're supposed to be people that live by faith. Jesus said, you're a city on a hill. You're a light in the darkness. So let your light shine. Let your good deeds shine before men so they'll glorify God in heaven. So when people see us and interact with us, they should walk away and just be like, glory to God. That person is just something different. They're not responding the way that I would expect. And they're facing all the same pressures as me and tensions and stress and uncertainties. But somehow, they they have hope. That's how we should be. But for myself, for you, I'm sure there's a lot of times where we don't look much different than the world. And I wanted to think about that together in this conversation. I wanted to think about our actions in the world. And whether when people see us and the ways that we talk as people who say we are Christ's followers, whether they see us as anything different, whether our actions and our speech bring light into the darkness, or whether we're just getting caught up and falling into the same traps that are so easy to fall in. Because we're not exempt from the tension. We're not exempt from the pressure and the stress. We're experiencing the exact same thing. What should be different is our actions and our reactions. The things we intentionally choose to do. How will I act? And the things that happen in response. Someone talks to us and something happens to us and we respond and we react. Those things should increasingly be looking more and more like Christ and how he acted and how he reacted to things. You know, when he was starving 40 days with no food, when he was hungry and lonely and tired at his weakest point, and then he was tempted with prestige and power, and Satan says, just use your power for yourself. You know, he was wrung out. But what came out of God, what came out of Christ in that time of testing, when he was depleted, when he was under pressure, when he was under tension, experiencing that, The word of God came out of him. Scripture came out. He said, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Worship the Lord your God only. Right? Is that what comes out of us when we're put under pressure? Does scripture come out? Does God's love come out? Well, it increasingly should. And so I want for myself and I want for us as believers to dig into God's word so we can know what that looks like. So we can grow in that. So we can pray to God to ask for that. So we can examine it. So we can maybe be even a less, little less hard on ourselves when we don't respond that way. And I think scripture has just a lot to say about this. So for this conversation, I'd like to do it as kind of a guided discussion. And I'd like to ask two questions. And I'd like to you to keep the remote control handy or the pause button handy so that I can ask a question. And then have you pause this video And either just think about it, if you're watching this on your own, or if you're with a group of friends, to just stop and discuss. These are questions we should wrestle with and think about our behaviors, our fruit, how we reflect Christ to the world, and the ways that we succeed and the ways that we fail. And our responses to the world, the ways that those reflect Christ, ways that those don't. Because I just want us to look like Jesus to the world, and I want to know how. And so I want to look into Scripture to find out what advice God can give us on these uh, two questions, and so after you've discussed it among yourselves, I'd love for you to just unpause it and let me read a scripture and explain what I see there as God's advice, uh, and then for you to reflect on that in relationship to the question. So um, let me go ahead and just ask the first question, and then have you pause it and discuss it with whomever you're with. The first question is, do our actions define us? Do our actions define us. You know, so if someone steals something, is that person a thief? You know, if someone lies, is that person a liar? What about us when we act in ways that we don't want to define us? We don't want that. We don't think that that behavior reflects who we are as a Christian. Does it define us? There's a lot of people defining others right now. They are this, they are that. How do we wrestle with that? How do we treat others based on their behaviors, God's perception of them? How do we perceive ourselves when we look at our own behaviors, our own actions? So the first question is about our actions. The second one's going to be about our reactions. But uh, just take a minute and pause the video, please, and ask yourself, discuss, do our actions Define us. I'm going to read from Jesus in Luke chapter 6. The way I'd summarize, the way I'd answer that question based on his advice, I'd say our actions do not define us, but they do reveal us. They reveal our hearts. And there's a very important distinction between being defined by your behaviors, as if it's who you are versus our behaviors revealing what's inside of us. And so therefore being like uh, insight, clues, symptoms, truth about what's going on inside versus defining us. So that's what I believe uh, Jesus' answer is. Let me read his own words for us so we can reflect on it. Jesus says in Luke 6, 43, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified, That's, that's the key word, the tree is identified by the kind of fruit it produces. Figs never grow on thorn bushes or grapes on bramble bushes. A good person produces good deeds from a good heart, and an evil person produces evil deeds from an evil heart. Whatever is in your heart determines what you say. So why do you call me Lord when you won't obey me? Anyone who listens to me and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it crumbles into a heap of ruins. So Jesus is saying, things come out of us that reflect our hearts. We can identify what's going on internally by the symptoms, by the outward expressions of what comes out of us. Uh, In Matthew 15, Jesus says uh, in verse 11, you are not defiled by what you eat. You are defiled by what you say and do. He says, explain this to us. Uh, Jesus says uh, in verse 17, anything that you eat passes through the stomach and goes out, but evil words come from an evil heart and they defile the person who says them. From the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands could never defile you and make you unacceptable to God. So he's talking about the things that are sinful behaviors that we need to confess, the things that defile. He's not talking about what defines us. He's saying what's coming out of our heart. It's showing what's inside. So if all we're doing is... um, producing wicked behaviors and fruit, then we have to say, that's a a wicked heart. That's a heart that is producing wickedness. But if we as believers who say, I know that God has redeemed me, and by his grace I see good things coming from my heart, and he's enabled me to say or do things, but I also see these things that are coming out of me that are not Christ-like, that don't reflect upon him well, it's still an indication that it's within us those are still coming from our our actions that defile us, the actions that are sins that we then need to confess, the ones that cause problems for us, the ones that we know grieve the Holy Spirit within us. They're not someone else's actions. They're our actions, and they do come from within us. So we have to say, okay, this new spirit that God has given me is bearing fruit, but this flesh that it's in, this body, this fleshly nature is not fully sanctified. You know, Jesus talks about fruit and trees. So there's a tree growing, but there's still parts of it that have to be pruned. You know, there's still parts of it. It's like a, a sponge that soaked up a bunch of bad water, you know, dirty water. Well, it gets dunked in clean water, and still there's residue. And it gets dunked in clean water again, and still it's not running clean. It gets dunked in water again, still it's not running clear. And that's the process. God's like purging. He's made us new. He's redeemed us, you know, the sponge isn't defined by what it's absorbing, it's the the vehicle, it's it's what goes into it that's what's going to come out when it's under pressure. The behaviors of our world just show that there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of sin and wickedness in us. And we need to turn to God and say, can you please get those things out of us? So Jesus is saying they don't define us they reveal our hearts. There's four key things I'd want us to notice from this. And then I'll give you a moment to kind of reflect on these scriptures and these thoughts and go back to your original question and see if it if it impacts and influences your conversation at all. The first thing I would say we need to recognize is that we need to be honest with ourselves to evaluate our own fruit. Right, this is actually the truest form of what Scripture is is for. The, you know, the purpose of Scripture is for us to evaluate ourselves, and usually we use it to judge others, but the Bible, God's Word, is always meant to be more of a mirror for us to see ourselves clearly in and confess and repent than it's ever meant to be a hammer for us to strike someone else down for what they're not doing. When you read Scripture, don't just think of all the ways other people need to adhere to this. Look and say, ah... Where does this speak to me? That's the value. That's the wisdom that we might become closer to God through what he's saying to us. So it requires an honest evaluation. Our actions, do they reflect Christ? Do we see good fruit? And hopefully by God's grace, we will we'll say yes here, here, and here, and here. And then if we see other actions that we say, no, that's not bearing good fruit for God. That's That's sin rearing its ugly head. That's the flesh. That's my own fear. Those are my addictions. Those are my desires, worldly things, temporary things, self-destructive things that are, are rearing their ugly head. Then we go to God and we say, please prune those branches. Please squeeze out those things that are still in there. Continue to purify us. And continue to absorb God's words we can be filled with truth and filled with love so that's one thing we need to just recognize we need to be honest if we're gonna evaluate our own fruit another thing to recognize is we can't define or limit others based on their fruit rather need to pray for God's grace on them when we see someone who you know commits a crime are they just then a criminal Well, you're seeing some sort of fruit coming from within their heart. By God's grace, that heart could be renewed. That could be taken out, restored, pruned, squeezed out, whatever way you want to imagine it, so that what could come out of them would be good because they're not defined by their actions. They may have consequences, even lifelong consequences for their actions, but their actions aren't defining them. They're just revealing what's in their heart. And ah, sin is so pervasive, it gets in. And we are afraid, and we are greedy, and we are selfish, and those things are in the flesh. We are arrogant. But by God's grace, we could be more than just human. We could be redeemed. We could be renewed. We could be restored. We could be sanctified. And that's what we want for ourselves. We need to be careful not to limit others while we're giving ourselves grace. Um, A third point to consider Please, please, please don't doubt your faith or your salvation because of bad fruit. Recognize that if you're seeing it as unhealthy fruit, as bad fruit, as wicked fruit, you're seeing there's something in you that's coming out. The fact that you're recognizing it all as testimony that God is working on, the Holy Spirit is saying, look at this over here, and that you're seeing it in the mirror and you admit and recognize that's not what should be there, that's not who I want to be. And so, that recognition is proof of salvation. <laughs> we just simply go to confession at that point. Any sin, any time, large, small, Father God, please forgive me. And then Jesus on the cross, it's forgiven, it's gone, it's separated from us. That's the process that we, we, we go to when we see that fruit. Not guilt. Not self-condemnation, not doubting our salvation, actually recognizing it as the fact that we see the mirror and we see what God sees. And so we just repent. We say, Father God, this is still where I'm at. Help me. You know, don't be done with me yet. And the fourth thing that we could recognize is um, it's important to welcome this sort of recognition if we can recognize areas that we can improve, then it's possible for us to grow. You know, the phrase, people don't change, there may be some truth to that, but God does transform. And so, we may not be able to change ourselves. I think in some small amounts of behavior, maybe we can affect change, but significant soul change? Can't do it. But God can. And so... Let's welcome the moments where we see fruit that doesn't belong and recognize it and say, thank you, God, for showing me that behavior that just has no place in a life that reflects you. Let's get rid of that and let's move on. So these are the thoughts that I have. These are words from scripture that I want us to reflect on take another moment with whoever you're with or even on your own and just go back to that question do our actions define us think about your own actions how you behave the things you say the things you do what are they showing about you and what will you do about it so that we can be that city on the hill so that we can live towards what christ calls us ever moving forward in our sanctification, take a minute and discuss it. And then we'll ask the second question, which is about our responses and reactions, not just our our intentions and actions. Okay, our second question. Uh, This is a fairly personal question, and I'd love for you to just be open and honest in talking with the people that you're with as you combine it with the first one. Think about how we act and how we react. This is about reactions. The question is this, what do you think that your responses and your reactions say about you? What do you think your reactions and your responses say about you? A lot of times something will happen to us and we'll respond. And we weren't trying to, it wasn't premeditated, we didn't give it thought, we just reacted. In all those ways that you're reacting in conversations, that you're responding to the things going on in our world, there's people around you in every instance. And if we're a city on a hill, we're being watched, if we're trying to be a light in the darkness, and let people see our good works and our, our faith and give glory to God in heaven is that what's happening? In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. I'd like us to just think about it together and then see what the Bible has to say for where, where we go from there and, and how we sort of work with God on our responses. So take a minute. uh, What do you think your responses and reactions say about you? I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 7, but if I were to give the answer to that, kind of summarize what we're about to read and give an answer, I would say that our reactions and our responses, they expose us. They expose us. If our behaviors and our intentions kind of reveal things... <laughs> there's another level of exposure that comes by how we react. It's a little bit more innate. You know, it doesn't have the ability to to think in advance. And so sometimes in wonderful ways, and sometimes in really sort of (laughs) sad ways, our responses and our reactions expose us. Um, If you think about it, our responses and reactions are uniquely us. You know, when we react to something, it's not a general response or the common response. It's our response. And we might justify it and say, well, this person said this to me, and so then I responded in this way. Anybody would have done the same in the situation, but then we have to stop and re- admit many different people are in these same sort of situ- situations that we are and are responding very differently, for better or for worse. So our responses are not just the common response or the generic response or what anyone would do, it's what we did. It's what we said. And so this is where there's just a level of accountability and a level of vulnerability that we need to accept. That our responses are uniquely ours. And so Paul actually has a conversation in Second Corinthians with a church. And he had written them one letter and was very sort of um, confronting with them on an issue in their church. And then he heard back from uh, through the grapevine, through Titus their response to that was of like, "Oh man, you're right. We, we want to do something about this." They had a good response to a hard encounter, and so I want to read his compliment to them on their response and be thinking about how our own responses are super important for the testimony we have the fruit. Our responses are part of our our fruit in the world not just our intentional, thought-out-in-advance actions. So Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 6. God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was a joy, but so was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you. When he told me how much you were looking forward to my visit and how sorry you were about what had happened, And how loyal your love is for me, I was filled with joy. I am no longer sorry that I sent that letter to you, though I was sorry for a time, for I know that it was painful to you for a little while. But now I am glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to have remorse and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, so you were not harmed by us in any way. For God can use sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek salvation. We'll never regret that kind of sorrow. But sorrow without repentance is the kind that results in death. So just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, such a readiness to punish the wrongdoer, you show, have showed You showed that you have done everything you could to make things right. My purpose was not to write about who did the wrong or who was wronged. I wrote you so that in the sight of God, you could show how much you really do care for us. And we have been encouraged by this. So he wrote to them and he said, this is not what God wants in this situation. Your behaviors The fruit that you're bearing is not in keeping with your salvation. But he didn't define them by their bad behavior. You're sinners, you're not saved. He said, you are saved, and so therefore therefore this behavior has no place in the community and the fellowship of Christ. And when they heard that, their response was, oh, you're right, I see it in the mirror. And now I have earnestness, uh, uh, such zeal, longing to make things right our responses show a lot about us. And we want to be the kind of people that respond in such a way that confirms our heart for God. Not the kind of people that defend ourselves, get defensive, or justify our own actions, or ignore them, or deny them, or turn around and say, yeah, I might have, but you have. No. We want to be like the Corinthians here that recognize that fruit was not fruit of God. That was just human level stuff. There was actually a an incestuous relationship going on, and instead of the elders in the church pulling that person aside and saying, this cannot go on, this can't continue in the the house of God, it doesn't reflect well on God, it's grieving the Holy Spirit. Instead of that, they just celebrated this this very influential person in their midst, and they didn't confront it, they didn't talk about it, they didn't do anything, and so Paul had to write to them, and it was a hard letter. But instead of them hating Paul, instead of them throwing back at him all the things that are wrong about him, Instead of them defending themselves, they just sat with the Holy Spirit and reflected, and were like, "Wow, we do have to change." And so their sorrow, their conviction, brought about repentance, which led them to a better place, so that they could work on the things and improve. So, there are four things I want to focus on with this scripture. Four points that I don't want us to miss. Um, the first thing is really sort of a question: when we're in confronting conversations, when we're in conversations with people that are, you know, tense we're talking about politics, when we're talking about the coronavirus, when we're talking about race issues, when we're talking about violence or rioting, we're talking about the economy or jobs or food or religion. or <laughs> How do those conversations end? Because that's going to show more about our responses to things than how they start. Someone can say something to us and our initial reaction can be, you know, division, attack, defensiveness. But do we stop and think? Do we end a conversation in unity, even if it began in division? Or do we end a conversation with voices raised and personal accusations being thrown back and forth? Responses are about how we finish. We want to finish well. And so we want our responses to make sure that even if we fail, 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 that by the time we come around, that we restore, 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 restore. May it be so in our conversations that get tense and that are uh, even about issues of sin or about issues uh, that are, we, are deeply held beliefs. How do we respond? Your responses should be Christ-like. How did he respond when he was falsely accused of things? How did he respond when people hated him? How did he respond when people were just teaching lies, saying lies? That's what we should be. We should be a city on the hill. People should walk away from those conversations with us and say, glory to God. I've had conversations that have gone badly, but there was something different about that one. And it should be because we're acting the way Christ does. A second thing I'd want us to recognize, please don't allow the recognition of our sin. You know, these Corinthians became aware. Don't let it produce guilt in us. Don't let it produce guilt. Let it instead produce repentance and earnestness. So many times we look at ourselves, we're like, oh, I've just become aware that I said this thing that caused harm or I did this thing that was sinful or this action which I thought was fine or which I knew kind of wasn't fine but I did anyway. I got called out on it. just feel guilty. Oh, I can't believe that. Well, that relationship is ruined. That can never continue. Oh, I can't go back to that church or I can never be friends with this person again or I can never have another conversation on this topic again or I'm just going to avoid. No, the guilt, we should just be expecting nothing less than at times for us to fail. And when we recognize it, we say, ah, but God's spirit in us is calling us to something more. So let's recognize that. That response wasn't from God. That was just the human flesh. I got afraid, and so I lashed out. I got angry, and so I attacked. I was ignorant of this or that, and so I was just talking based on uh, no facts or no information. It happens. We've all been there. Wouldn't we like grace to be able to move past that so that the responses after the fact bring us together? I think that's what this is teaching, and our responses, even in repentance, can lead us to glory to God for how that ended, not about how it started or how it went in the middle. All right, a third point. Um, We need to allow brothers and sisters in Christ to point out problems if we're ever gonna be able to avoid them in the future. We have to let those conversations happen. Paul wrote to them and they listened. I would advise us when we get corrective criticism, when we have someone who challenges, when someone says, well, I don't think that this is right. They point out a problem in us or in our behavior, our speech to just say, well, let me think on that and pray on that instead of what we all do. It's so easy for me and for us to just defend and say, no, that's not what I meant by that. Well, maybe not, but maybe it's what happened anyway. Maybe it's what you said anyway. Maybe it's how it turned out anyway. It's a hard thing to allow others to speak to us in this way. And sometimes we get ten things in the criticism, and three of them are really the things that God's speaking to us, and seven of them are things that were someone's opinion, or they didn't realize this or that, so they're not what they thought. Are we going to throw away the three, or will we accept the three Will we defend? Will we attack back on the seven and ignore the three? Our responses will show us whether we have a teachable heart, a willing heart, an earnestness to try to make things right, like they did in Corinth. And then the fourth point, the last thing I want before we, and we close and, and discuss these last thoughts is, this scripture says that godly sorrow produces repentance and salvation, so good things, but worldly sorrow produces death. And I just want us to have hearts with people that are struggling with all this tension and pressure and stress and don't have God to rely upon. Every person who says the wrong thing in terms of uh, the racial you know, discussions and tensions that we have in our world, like, to just feel guilty about saying the wrong thing versus saying, God, please forgive me for that, and feeling like he forgives us, and saying to a person, please forgive us, and feeling like forgiveness is leading us towards repentance and salvation and towards life. Many people just own their guilt and sit in it, and it leads to death, depression, suicidal thoughts, discouragement, isolation. When we feel like we've failed and we're failures, that like drives us inward, and we as Christians have a hope. We experience those same things, but we have a path that can lead us out of it. May God grant grace to those who don't have a path out, who just sit in their own guilt, feelings of self, um, no self-worth, and of hopelessness. Let's pray that God grants them the ability to see God's love and his forgiveness of them for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but all are justified freely, by his Son. I'm going to close with uh, Psalm 1 as a reminder to be trees planted in the Word of God and soak up um, God's truth so we can bear fruit. Uh, And when I I finish with this, I just like, like to ask you again to turn to the people that you're with and just think about our responses. Think about the things that we see here in 2 Corinthians Think about our actions and reactions. And uh, may God help us to be the light in the darkness that he calls us to be. So our closing scripture, I'll close with this. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with scoffers. But they delight in doing everything the Lord wants. Day and night they think about his law. They're like trees planted along the river bank, bearing fruit each season without fail. Their leaves never wither, and in all they do, they prosper. But this is not true of the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. May we be trees planted by streams of water soaking up God's love so that when the pressure inevitably comes upon us this week, what may come out of us is love. What may come out of us is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. May those be what we're filled with. May we meditate upon God's law day and night and bear fruit in this season fruit that doesn't look like everything else around us fruit that is christ-like and that will be something for people to look at and not look at us and say wow how great are we but people to look at our lives and say glory to god there is another way may you be blessed this week in your actions and your reactions as followers of christ